Welcome back to Rough in the Basket, and this is another episode with me and my co-host, Brandon Carr. How's it going today, Carr? I'm doing great. Um, as we're recording this, there's a thunderstorm going out, going on outside right now, so hopefully the audio doesn't pick up any uh, thunder, but I'm doing great. We have a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk about the NFC South. That is the division that me and Noah decided upon, because you guys listened to our episode last week. We said that we were going to kind of start to cover every single NFL division. We started with the NFC North, so you want to make sure you listen to that if you haven't. Today is the NFC South, and then obviously for basketball, the NBA final stage has been set, and we're going to talk about that. So we have a lot to get into today, so let's get right into it. All right, let's let's get right into it. And uh, we're going to start the ball rolling here with the Atlanta Falcons. So their over-under is seven this season, seven wins in a 17-game season, just to mm-hmm. remind everybody. And uh, uh, the main storyline here is that Julio Jones is no longer a part of this team. He's been mm-hmm. moved on to the Tennessee Titans. Um, Calvin Ridley is still there, and he had an obviously fantastic season last year, 90 catches, 1,300 yards, nine receiving touchdowns. And they've gone even better, arguably, on the offensive side of the ball, adding Kyle Pitts, who you raved about in the, the episode, mm-hmm. the NFL draft preview. Mm-hmm. A big-time, uh, prolific score at the tight end position. Might be the best tight end prospect that we've ever seen really come into the NFL. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's definitely big news there. Todd Gurley no longer there. I guess, uh, you know, I'll start off with you, Carl. What are some some uh, impressions that you have for this upcoming NFL season with the Atlanta, Atlanta Falcons. Yeah. So the Atlanta Falcons, you know, they've, you know, they've kind of underwhelmed since that Super Bowl run they had when Matt Ryan was the MVP and Kyle Shanahan was their offensive coordinator. Ever since then, they've kind of gotten worse. And I feel like it's still going to stay the same this year. I mean, this Falcons team, you know, you lose somebody like Julio Jones, which, you know, he kind of wanted out. And I understand at this point of his career, he kind of is kind of more so focused on winning a championship. And the Falcons right now aren't really built like that. Um, You know, I know they still have Matt Ryan, who obviously has had his ups and downs throughout his career. But, you know, I was a little bit surprised that the Falcons, you know, didn't decide to go quarterback. I mean, I still thought they were going to take Kyle Pitts, but, you know, that's something that they're going to have to address in the future. But as for this season, You know, the Falcons defense is something that they haven't been really good at Um, in terms of, you know, where they ranked last season. They were 29th in yards allowed and 19th in points allowed. So, you know, besides really gritty Jarrett, I can't really think of anybody else that kind of, you know, screams a great defensive player on their team and their offense. You know, for fantasy football, Calvin Ridley is someone that's going to be very good because, you lose all those Julio Jones targets. It's going to go to Calvin Ridley, going to go to Kyle Pitts. And, you know, this Falcons team, you know, they're a team that I'm, you know, not super high on. Now they have Arthur Smith as their head coach, who was the former offensive coordinator for the Titans. So I think that was a good hire by them. But I feel like, you know, their team, I feel like just doesn't stack um, up to some of these other teams that are in their division right now. So the over-under, you said, was seven, correct? Seven, yep. I would probably take the under on that. Um, I feel like seven is a little bit generous. I feel like, you know, maybe it's because of Matt Ryan. Maybe it's because of Arthur Smith. You know, the, the odds makers might be a little bit high on him. But, you know, I just I just compared to some of these other teams, I just feel like the Falcons, I don't see them winning seven games. They won four games last year, um, which, you know, is obviously abysmal. It's really bad, but. You know, I feel like seven, I would probably take the under on that one as a safe bet. Yeah, I mean, all questions are going to be answered by their defense here. If their defense is at least decent, they don't have to be a top five defense. They don't have to be a top 10. If they're just within the top 20, 22 best defenses in the league, which still isn't that great, but if they can at least do that, then I think their offense can definitely propel them to some wins here. Uh, I mean, you, you look at this offense and – They've they do have that loss with Julio Jones. However, he is 32. He is starting to hit that age where guys start to fizzle out at the wide receiver position unless they're anomalies um, or or just freaks of nature that just continue to play and dominate the game. I'm not sure if that's going to happen with Julio Jones, especially because he's had some injuries here and there. And I do see signs that his game is starting to slow down. A lot of the touchdowns went to Calvin Ridley instead of Julio Jones. So, um, 
Um, with that being said, I think the main key here is definitely their defense. Their defense was arguably, their secondary specifically, was arguably as bad as Detroit's. They surrendered 34 <laughs> touchdowns, and they only had 12 interceptions. So they, they, def- they definitely failed on the defensive side of the ball. And I, I understand what they're doing, hiring an offensive coordinator, a very talented offensive coordinator at that in Arthur Smith. But at the same time, I think they need to focus more on the defensive side of the ball. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to do that for him. Maybe maybe he'll surpass expectations there. But I, I think two keys of this team are their defense and also their running game. Their running game last season, it was one of the worst rushing attacks in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Todd Gurley started off on fire. He was there saving grace at the start of the season, and then he just completely fizzled out. And they fell apart entirely um, at the running side of the ball. They they yeah. did they completely underwhelmed. Now they have they have uh, Mike the, Davis. Mike Davis. Mike Davis. Mm-hmm. That's his name. You know, the guy from Carolina filled in last year for for McCaffrey, and he he did play fairly well. He he did definitely surprise me there. However, I I don't know if that's enough to fi- fix their running game, especially when the guy that they have is their backup running back is Cordell Patterson who <laughs> is not a running back by nature so we'll see what happens there I for me I would say I would probably take the under two just because their defense is going to be underwhelming yeah I think that's the thing and you know the defense has kind of been a question mark for Atlanta for a while now you know they hired Dan Quinn you know a few years back to kind of be someone that helps the defense out but you know he really couldn't get that get their defense to be kind of elite like when he was coaching for the Seattle Seahawks Legion of Boom. But yeah, I think the Falcons team, you know, Matt Ryan, he's starting to digress a little bit. And, you know, when a team throws the ball 626 times like Matt Ryan did last season, and then you have a running game where, you know, Todd Gurley had 678 yards, but had only 3.5 yards of carry. It's not the best. I think Mike Davis is definitely an upgrade, and I think he'll help the Russian attack be better than it was last year. But still, I just, you know, this Falcons team, they're kind of going towards that rebuilding mode. I think Matt Ryan's probably going to be the next domino to fall when they can get out of his contract. I mean, you know, Julio Jones, like like we talked about, is he gets traded to the Titans, and, you know, that's a leader on that team that's been there since the beginning. So I just feel like the Falcons are kind of moving towards a new era. And I think they're going to really, you know, start to see some of their pieces get sold and they're going to be kind of rebuilding as they bring in Arthur Smith to kind of help that rebuild out. So they'll try winning some games just because they have Matt Ryan right now. Like he's going to be someone that kind of makes them a competitive team a little bit in some games, but, you know, still, I just feel like their team right now is kind of, shifting towards more of a rebuild right now. So them getting seven wins, like I said, is just feels like a little bit generous by the odds makers. So I'm going to go with the under on this one. Yeah, for sure. I think also uh, one thing I wanted to add, I want to ask you actually a question about Todd Gurley, a little bit off topic, but we did bring his name up and right now he's still an NFL free agent and uh, is his career over? I mean, does he have gas in the tank still? Do you think he's going to recover and at least be some third down back that can maybe pick up some yards? Or what What do you think his future holds? Yeah, it's unfortunate what happened with Todd Gurley. I mean, you think about even in college, I remember he tore his ACL and, you know, he was still drafted very high by the Rams. That's how talented of a running back he was at Georgia. And obviously we saw, you know, his run with the Rams that kind of that two year stretch where he had 1300 yards and 13 touchdowns in 2017 and 2018, he had 1,251 yards and 17 rushing touchdowns. He was catching the ball a lot. Like he was elite, you know, kind of during that time. And then obviously, you know, those injuries kind of really started piling up on him. And once a running back kind of suffers a lot of these like lower body injuries, these knee and leg injuries, it really starts to add up. And, you know, he's starting to get to the point now where he's 27 years old, I believe right now. And, you know, that's kind of, kind of the age where running backs kind of start to digress. And especially with him having the injury history, you're going to really start to see him digress. And, you know, we kind of saw that with the Falcons and I know he had some visits, I believe with your Detroit Lions, I'm pretty sure you guys talked to him. He had a visit with them. And I believe the Baltimore Ravens were the other team that he visited with. 
Um, you know, we haven't seen anything yet. So, I mean, at this point, you know, with him being a free agent at this point of the off season, it's not great news. Um, I feel like he can go to a team and maybe be like a guy that can help the younger guys out, or, you know, he could be someone that's like their third string running back, second string running back. I mean, he can still score touchdowns if need be like, he's not a bad, like, you know, red zone type of option at the running back position, because I mean, he still had nine rushing touchdowns last season, which is still really good. Um, So I mean, maybe that's what he kind of, um, his role kind of regresses to. So I just don't see Todd Gurley being Rams, you know, two year stretch Todd Gurley where he was the best running back in football. I, I think those days, as we know, I think most people know at this point, those days are over, but yeah, we'll just have to see what ends up happening with Todd Gurley if he ends up getting a job this season. For sure. And I think that's something that makes running backs that are consistent for so long, just so special. And on that note, Christian McCaffrey and the Carolina Panthers, great segue here. Yes. Uh, you know, Christian McCaffrey has been a beast for the Carolina Panthers over the last four or five seasons. Obviously, last season went down with an injury the majority of the year. Their passing game was absolutely terrible with Teddy Bridgewater. He, it, he, he may be, uh, I don't know how to put this, in, in a certain situation, maybe he can thrive for short amounts of time, but... I don't see him ever being that quarterback that can lead a team to the playoffs and then subsequently to the Super Bowl. I just can't see that ever happening with Teddy Bridgewater. And now he's out of there, got traded to the Broncos and that whole mess, which we'll get to. And, you know, when we preview that division, the future, Mm -hmm. but now they got Sam Darnold, who is a promising young quarterback or was at least in a lot of people's eyes at one point with the Jets. And he's had an injury-plagued, rough start to his career. Uh, his numbers are not very promising, but but people still see promise in this kid. And I, I, to be honest, I'm very torn with what I think about him at this point. I, I could see on one side that he does still have potential, and maybe it, it was the Jets that were holding him back. Obviously, their offensive line, garbage. Their wide receiver core, non-existent. Their running back was Frank Gore. I mean, enough said. Like, I, Frank Gore is a legend, man. Don't get me wrong, but he's like 37 or 38 years old now, and he's averaging still 3.7 yards a carry, and they're just giving him the ball. So uh, they, they they made no effort to win games last year. Uh, that's the main point here. But but anyways, we're not talking about the Jets. We're talking about the Panthers. So what do you think are the expectations for Sam Donald now at, on the Panthers, and how do you see him getting along with uh, Christian McCaffrey and that whole offense moving? Yeah, so Sam Darnold's, you know, you talked about him and, you know, the Jets, it's an, it was an unfortunate situation for him. I mean, you know, he had some promise, obviously. He was drafted third overall from USC. And, you know, there's still people out there. I feel like he could potentially turn his career around. Um, I know there's some people out there, like I was saying, that still believe in him. Um, I think he could turn around. Um, but you know, being in that situation with Adam Gase as the head coach and, you know, him having Frank Gore run wheel routes and, you know, not really having a lot of, you know, number one options out there at the wide receiver position, um, really it wasn't a great and Sam Darnold, obviously he got sacked a lot, but you watch some of the games too. It's some of the, some of that's also on Sam Darnold for making bad decisions with the football. So he's definitely someone that has that kind of issue with the turnovers and with him going to Carolina, they traded um, a sixth round pick that was used in the 2021 draft this past year's draft. And they got a second and fourth round pick in the 2022 draft. The jets did. So they, the Panthers invested a lot into him. So they definitely believe in his talent. Um, I mean, he's someone that I think just like, you know, I'm, I'm really not sure what to think of him. Um, The Panthers definitely, are committed to him being their starting quarterback this season. And I think this Panthers team as a whole, you know, I think Matt rule, I think last year, I think he did, did a really good job with this team. I was a little bit skeptical on him just because, you know, he was coming from that college tree, um, the, the, you know, the college football uh, tree with him uh, coaching the Baylor bears the year prior and the Panthers gave him this massive contract, but you know, the Panthers went five and 11 last season was not bad. Um, you know, their offense and defense was kind of middle of the pack to the below average, which wasn't great, but I do agree where Teddy Bridgewater, although he's someone that's kind of more so like a game manager, 
Um, he's really not going to wow you. He doesn't have like a ton of upside at the quarterback position. I think, you know, he doesn't make a lot of bad decisions and he makes kind of some of the right passes and stuff like that. But I think Sam Darnold, you're going to see more of these down the field type of throws. I think Sam Darnold is more of someone that isn't going to take these calculated, you know, underneath um, passes like Teddy Bridgewater likes to do. I think Sam Darnold was going to push the ball down the field a little bit more. And, you know, that would help someone to be like DJ Moore. It will help Robbie Anderson, which obviously Sam Darnold and Robbie Anderson already have a connection with each other since they were both on the Jets. But, yeah, I mean, this Panthers team, you didn't have Christian McCaffrey last season as well for most of it. Um, He had that high ankle sprain, and then I believe he had a shoulder injury that he was just dealing with all season. So you kind of lost that aspect of your offense. Um, But this Panthers team, you know, they drafted J.C. Horn with their first first round pick of the which I believe was eighth overall. So someone that's going to help the defensive side of the ball out. He's the son of former New Orleans Saints wide receiver, Joe Horn. So he has some NFL pedigree to him, man. He had an absolutely stellar pro day. So I think he's going to be a really good cornerback. And I think he's going to help the Panthers out. But you said the over-under for the Panthers was how much? It is seven and a half. Seven and a half. Yeah. You know, this team went five and 11 last season. I feel like it's going to be under. Maybe they win seven games. I feel like I could see like a seven-win season from them, so that would technically count as the under. Um, So, yeah, I think, you know, the Panthers team, they're definitely headed in the right direction, I feel like. And if Sam Darnold isn't the answer, I feel like Carolina could just, you know, go into next year and draft another quarterback. So it's really going to be very dependent on how Sam Darnold responds with him going to a brand-new situation a better situation than he has ever been afforded with, with the Jets and Adam Gase. So if he can kind of shake off those demons and kind of gain his confidence back, then, you know, maybe he ends up being a really good starting quarterback for them. And, you know, and I'm rooting for him, especially, you know, because you don't get a lot of opportunities to be a starting NFL quarterback. So with him getting this brand new situation is a really good thing for him. And I'm rooting for him to turn his career around. Yeah. In my eyes, you know what I could see Sam Donald being, at least for this season? You remember a name, uh, Trevor Simeon? I don't the know Broncos. how to say that. Trevor Simeon? Yep. Yeah. After Peyton Manning retired, he ended up taking the reins. He had 18 touchdowns and 10 interceptions that season, started 14 games. And I could see Sam Donald being something very similar to that, at least for this season. The, the following season, Trevor completely fell off, had 12 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, and he was out of there after that. But yeah, I could see Sam Donald doing just enough to get them over the seven and a half game over under. I, I could see if he just plays okay, if he has, you know, 16 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and, and doesn't fumble the ball that much, and they have Christian McCaffrey just run and do what he does best and just get all those receptions out of the backfield. I could see them definitely hitting the over. I could see them getting eight. So I'm going to go the over here. You know, he has the, the connection with Robbie Anderson. DJ Moore is definitely a better second option than he's ever had with the, the Jets. And on top of that, Christian McCaffrey is arguably the best running back in the NFL. If not, he's in the top three. So, so with that being said, I could see them definitely hitting the over on that one. And uh, you have anything else you want to add about the Carolina Panthers or you want me to go on to the next team? Um, yeah, I guess one more thing, like, I feel like Carolina last year had a really good draft as well. I remember them taking Jeremy Chin, who was fantastic. Um, I believe last year was also when they took Brian Burns as well. And he was another big impact player for them. So I think the Panthers, you know, last year had a really good draft. And then this year I mentioned JC Horn. I really like Terrace Marshall out of LSU. I know they lost Curtis Samuel. So they kind of needed a wide receiver to fill in that role. Although he's not a, a, not nearly as a similar player as Curtis Samuel and how they used him. He's a very good wide receiver prospect. And then, you know, they bolster the offensive lineup, Brady Christensen, and obviously they franchise Taylor Morton as well. So they're really, I think, trying to compete this year, which I do like. Um, You know, we kind of thought this Panthers team was going into like a little bit of a rebuild. They're still, you know, they're still adding pieces, still, you know, drafting very well. And, I think it's going to take a little bit, but I think they're definitely heading in the right direction, though. Yeah, for sure. I think even if Sam Darnold isn't the answer for them next year, 
they could definitely draft a quarterback. And as long as they maintain Christian McCaffrey and they continue to add pieces on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball, I think that you'll definitely see them emerge. And, you know, maybe maybe in the future, the Bucks won't be as good when Tom Brady leaves. But we'll get to that in a second. The next <laughs> yeah. thing I want to go over is the Saints. Now, the over-under with them is the nine. And something very interesting, a very fun, uh, fun fact here is that their 38 wins in the last three seasons is the most for a team that has not won the Super Bowl in that span. They wow. have been so dominant in the regular season, so dominant. And, and then the playoffs come and one thing or another happens. And for some reason, they just don't make it. And, you know, a big reason, obviously, going back three years ago was the, the call, the famous or should I say infamous call when, you know, the ref. Did, did not make the right call there. And uh, obviously the Rams ended up yeah, going no pass the and they lost to the Patriots ultimately. The Saints should have been there. That's clear. I think that's been discussed enough. But now the, the scenario with the Saints is extremely different because Drew Brees is no longer there mm-hmm. and they're moving on. And we saw a small sample size last season of, of uh, Taysom Hill mm-hmm. and what possibly he could do as a starter. But – it's no guarantee that he's going to be the starter at this point. There's no guarantee that Jameis Winston is going to be the starter at this point. So I guess obviously the quarterback is the most important and crucial position in the NFL by far. And they absolutely lead the locker room. So I'm going to start off with this. I mean, who do you think is going to be the the starter ultimately, or do you think they're going to bring in somebody else potentially? I don't think they bring in somebody else. Um, I think we're going to see a mix. I think we'll see more so Jameis Winston being under center. Um, Not a knock against Taysom Hill. Obviously, he did a good enough job. He went 3-1 and when Drew Brees was injured last season, and he had four touchdowns, two picks, you know, had a 72.7% completion percentage, and obviously can run the football. But I think Jameis Winston, I think, is someone that – Obviously, he's had his issues, you know, the 30 touchdowns, 30 interception season he had the year prior to last season with the Bucks. Like, I mean, it's not great. You know, he's what were you gonna say? Crazy, man. That's yeah. never been done before. I know, never been done before. Like, it's just crazy to think about that. But yeah, he also had 5,000 passing nerds. But yeah, it's just like, you know, the Jameis Winston is someone that obviously has that turnover problem, but I think with Drew Brees, you know, obviously congratulations on Drew Brees for a phenomenal career with the Saints. And, you know, I wish him the best for his future and and whatnot. But, you know, he was kind of – you can kind of see with the Saints offense and how the years kind of went by that he was kind of starting to lose his arm strength. They weren't really pushing the ball down the field all like that. And Jameis Winston, the one thing about him is he has a very strong arm. I think – he has the talent, obviously. He kind of quite hasn't put it together yet and hasn't had like a, you know, a turnover-esque free season. You know, he's a guy that turns the ball over quite a lot, which, you know, isn't great because if you thoroughly think about it, not only does that affect your offense, that affects your defense because their defense would then be put in a situation where they're most likely would have a short field, the other teams opposing offense. So makes it harder on the defense. But I think Jameis Winston – I think is probably going to see more of the quarterback snaps. I think Taysom Hill obviously does his job very well, which is kind of that Swiss army knife role of him playing, you know, as the quarterback running these, you know, option plays, playing wide receiver, special teams. Like he's someone that can really do it all, which is great to have, you know, to add some more versatility. So, and the saints were even doing that with Drew Brees there, Taysom Hill, he's obviously going to get, you know, time under center. They're going to use him. How can you not? Right. Um, so I still I just feel like Jameis Winston is probably going to be the starting quarterback, but we'll definitely see a lot of you know packages that the Saints like to run with Taysom Hill kind of coming in there, and whether or not he throws the ball, runs the ball, or catches the ball, whatever he does, he's going to be in there. But my money is on Jameis Winston to kind of be the starter, and we've kind of seen you know on social media he's been working with his wide receivers, he's been you know trying to establish a rapport, and I think that's a great thing you know to see if you're a Saints fan for him to kind of start getting some work in with his players. So I think it's going to be Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill is going to see snaps at quarterback as well. Yeah, I think you said it really well. The The only thing that I don't like about Jameis Winston is that no doubt in my mind, he 100% has the better arm. There's no debate about that. But, 
you know, we've seen with Jay Cutler before in the past, another, you know, old name that uh, it was pretty infamous in the NFL. But <laughs> having the best arm doesn't necessarily mean that you're the best guy for the job. And with, with Jameis Winston, he's only led a team to an above 500 record one time in the five years that he was a starter with a 9-7 and seven record. And like you said, had uh, the season where he had 30 interceptions, which is a huge concern. And, and my thing is, maybe it was a very small sample size, but for Taysom Hill, what he did as a quarterback, I think really cemented him in that role for this upcoming season. And, and ultimately, I think I, I, I'm still torn with who I I want to say the Saints are actually going to put in as quarterback because I, I'm leaning towards that they're going to try at least to run a typical offense and have Jameis Winston in there. But at the same time, I think Taysom Hill is a better fit just because their their whole offense is built on not really turning the ball over and just doing enough on the offensive side of the ball to keep it moving. And I think that's what Taysom Hill does. And what he does rushing is just on another level, you know, in that four-game span, he also put up 209 rushing yards and four rushing touchdowns. So, you know, in total, eight, eight touchdowns and two interceptions and, and over a 1,000 yards in those four games, which is, I mean, very good uh, for, for a guy like that. And, you know, Taysom Hill is such a special player. I think it's incredible that he, he's a guy that can block punts. He can return kicks. He can play quarterback. He can do some. Uh, uh, he can do some stuff like play wide receiver. He can play blocking tight end. You know, he can do literally everything. Uh, he can play if they really need him. He could go on defense, and I could go on and on about the value that the passer. He has in the team. Definitely one of the most interesting players that I've ever seen in the NFL for sure. And I think he he should be given a chance. I'm not sure if that's gonna happen to start the season or if Jameis Winston is just not gonna play well and he's gonna get another chance. But I do think that he, in that small sample size of four games, definitely did earn another chance to to at least start for them. But the Saints, another positive thing that they had was that they had a very good defensive defensive record. So on on the defensive side of the ball, they actually had the fewest penalties. They were tied for the most interceptions on the defensive side of the ball. They only gave up 28 touching um, touchdowns on the passing side of the ball. Uh, gave up the second fewest rushing touchdowns. Um, and, and overall, they were a menace on the defensive side of the ball, and that definitely propelled them to to some more wins. And their offense was already great. So, yeah, I'm excited to see this team move on without Drew Brees. The over-under is nine. You know, I'm going to go the over here. I'm going to say they get ten. Mm. I agree with you. Um, I think the Saints, you know, they've kind of always been like a team, you know, that – has done really well. Obviously, Sean Payton being the head coach, he's one of the best head coaches that's in the game right now. And I think he knows, you know, you're obviously going to lose a guy in Drew Brees who has been the face of that franchise for a long time. And it's going to be hard to kind of find someone that you can look up to. But I think, you know, Sean Payton is a good enough head coach where this team's going to be really good. You're going to have Michael Thomas back who, you know, was dealing with injuries and, you know, some drama with him, you know, circling around throughout the season, but he's going to be back. He's going to be healthy. So you're going to have a number one option. I know the Saints, they, they kind of lost some pieces. Um, they lost Trey Hendrickson, who, you know, had a, a breakout season. He had, I believe, 13 and a half sacks for that team. And he led the team in sacks and he ended up getting signed by the Cincinnati Bengals. So you lose him. Um, I know they drafted Peyton Turner, I believe, to kind of be his replacement. They drafted him to the 28th overall pick. You know, in this team, you know, offensive line-wise, very good offensive line. When you talk about the defense, they were one of the better teams at stopping the run last season. I think, as you were mentioning that, like, this team, I think, is still going to be really good even without Drew Brees. Um, no matter who's that quarterback, if it's Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill, I think they'll be a good enough team where they're going to win some games. And I think them being at nine, I think I would probably take the over in that situation. I think 10 wins, definitely. I can see that as well. Um, maybe 11 wins, 11 and six record for this team. Um, I think they're still a really good team. And I think a lot of people are sleeping on the Saints because, oh, you know, the casual NFL family, like, oh, they lost Drew Brees. Like, how are they going to be a good enough team? But I still think, you know, this team's really good. Alvin Kamara had a fantastic season. You know, and then, you know, I mentioned Michael Thomas and, you know, some of the other pieces that they have on this offense. Like, 
I think guys will step up and then you talk about the defense, like they have a good enough defense. So I think this team, you know, I think we'll probably end up finishing with maybe 10 to 11 wins on the season. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, with that, I think we're going to move on to the Bucks. And the over-under for the Bucks is 11 and a half. Obviously, Super Bowl, defending Super Bowl champions. Tom Brady is coming back along with 23 other starters. Literally, everybody is coming yeah. back for this team. They're the same same team as before. If it's yep. not broke, why fix it? And that's exactly what they did. They went out and they made sure that they signed everybody. And, yeah, I mean, I think that this is going to be interesting to see what they do this season with the same team. And they also added Giovanni Bernard, which is mm-hmm. going to be interesting as well, uh, on top of Leonard Fournette and uh, Ronald Jones. Mm-hmm. So with all that being said, I mean, th- this team is extremely well-rounded. By far the most intriguing team coming into the season and probably the most talented, bringing back Gronk, bringing back Antonio Brown, bringing back Mike Evans. I mean, literally everybody. So I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see what, what happens with this team and if they're able to perform to the same standards as last year, maybe they'll get a little complacent. I mean, I guess that's the real question here. Do you think that this team is going to be back in the Super Bowl? Because with Tom Brady every year, it's Super Bowl or bust, let's be real. And even though he's turning 44, I believe this year, 44 or 45, I don't, I believe it's 44, but yeah. Even with him being 44 years old, man, this guy looks incredible. He's in great shape. He he looks younger than he did when he was 23, uh, which is marvelous, man. It's crazy. I don't know what this guy does. Maybe it's all those uh, avocado tequila. Avocado shit. ice cream. I don't know what, yeah, exactly. Whatever he's doing, man, all those smoothies, it's working for him, you know? And he just continues being productive. He had 40 touchdowns last year. At the age of 43, like, it was nothing. And half the season – the, the first half of the season, I, I remember they went through a losing streak of, I believe, three games or they lost four or five games, something like that, halfway through the season. And I remember hearing people criticizing them and saying, you know, they, they should have done this. They should have done that. Is Tom Brady starting to slow down? And then he just he still finishes with his, in, these incredible statistics that players that have played for 10, 10 12 years can't ever reach. So, yeah. I, I mean, honestly – I, I've learned my lesson the hard way. I will never bet against Tom Brady. The over-under here is 11 and a half. I'm going the over. I have to, man. I, I just can't see this team winning less games than that. Yeah, I mean, to do what Tom Brady did last season, which, I mean, it's absolutely incredible. To go from, you know, the Patriots where he played for 20 years and then go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to learn an entire new offense – an entire new situation, a whole new, you know, environment for him, new teammates. And in a COVID off season, which, you know, you had all these like Zoom meetings, you didn't have a lot of in-person, you know, meetings, you didn't have a lot of, you know, practice for him to kind of just be like, hey, like, I'm going to go just join the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who have historically been probably one of the worst franchises in the NFL, if you look at their, you know, win percentage to just take that team and to, to put them up to to win a Lombardi trophy, to win a Super Bowl, like, it's absolutely incredible. And, you know, this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team, like, literally are going to be running it back, like you mentioned, because they have all starters from the Super Bowl team. Like, you don't really see that that often. They franchise tag Chris Godwin, and they bring back um, Shaquille Barrett, who has been absolutely fantastic. Jason Pierre-Paul, they bring back Gronkowski, bring him back Antonio Brown they bring him back that we have the exact same team here and you know you kind of you know read reports about it like it seemed like that the Buccaneers kind of took some time to start you know like beginning to gel together it took a few weeks which obviously would make sense you know for Tom Brady and whatnot like it's gonna take a little bit to you know get adjusted to your new teammates and stuff and like you know, I think ever since that Kansas City Chiefs game that they played in the regular season, they, I'm pretty sure, went undefeated. I Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but they, you know, went on a tear. Tom Brady, once again, just defying the odds. I'm glad that, you know, you're starting to learn to never bet, never bet against Tom Brady. I, as a Patriots fan, I can never bet against him. They just, you know, I just think about that Atlanta Falcons Super Bowl and him coming back down 28 to three. That's when I learned, like, I can't bet against this guy on anything. Like I, 
I mean, I can tell the story sometime on the show of me just watching that game. But yeah, I think, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with them being, you said 11 and a half for the over under, I think, yeah, yeah I think it's going to be over as well. Um, it's hard to not bet against this team, especially now with Tom Brady now having a proper off season to get, you know, acclimated even more with this team to learn the playbook even more and having the exact same team, like barren injury, this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team could definitely well can definitely be in the Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers kind of up in the air right now in terms of if he's going to play for the Green Bay Packers or not. Obviously, you know, you have the Saints and you have some of these other teams in the NFC. Um, you know, I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, with them having the exact same roster, I feel like they should be favored. You know, why not, right? <laughs> like they have the exact same team. They're going to be getting back OJ Howard, you know, who tore his ACL throughout, throughout last season. They have one of the best offensive lines in the, in the NFL. They have a great running back room. You have the greatest quarterback of all time. You have fantastic receivers. You have a very good defensive line, linebackers. Your secondary is even good. Like this team can really, you know, they can run it back. Like I'm, you know, I'm not someone that's going to bet against Tom Brady. And I think Tampa Bay with them being able to just literally resign everybody and not really lose anybody at all. I mean, they really, you know, the only guys they really lost were guys that, you know, we're kind of like on the bench, these guys that are not even first-string starters. So Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady and company at 11 and a half wins, I'm going to take the over. I think, you know, like I said, they've started to really get even more acclimated to each other. You have a whole offseason. Tom Brady even reports started that he was dealing with a knee problem and he ended up getting surgery this offseason to fix that. So it kind of just really adds on more to his story from going to the Patriots to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and how special of a run it was for him to win his Super Bowl in his first season, his seventh. So I definitely feel like Tampa Bay at 11 and a half wins, I feel like that they can definitely go over and I would not be shocked if they're in the Super Bowl again this season. Yeah, just one more point I wanted to add to that is that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers actually have the second easiest schedule as well. So mm-hmm. if, if anybody's taking the under – uh, that's ridiculous. I mean, I don't know what to say to you. That's crazy. Uh, they're definitely going to get the over here. Yeah. I think that's the easiest money you can make on the NFL this season. And I would not be shocked at all if they end up at the Super Bowl. They will definitely make it to the NFC Championship, no doubt in my mind. Mm-hmm. And they will most likely be back in the Super Bowl. But yep. we'll see. Injuries do happen. Time will tell. Uh, the The NFL season, obviously, being a 17-game season, is more grueling now than ever. So we'll see how that all works out in the long run. Right. But uh, now, before we end up switching topics here to the NBA, I know that you said you had something that you wanted to bring up on the pod. I did. So as we're recording this today, Tuesday, July 6th, if you're a Patriots fan like myself, um, you probably know about this news, but Nikhil Harry, who the Patriots drafted in the in the first round, the 2019 draft, has requested a trade. And, you know, he kind of, I mean, he just, simply he just didn't work out. Um, and he was someone that I was pretty high on coming into college. Uh, he played his ball at Arizona State. The biggest, you know, pro for him was someone that, can make plays after the catch, can be very physical at the catch point. And you kind of saw that with his college tape. He was like, oh, this guy's a monster. Like, I was excited to, to have him aboard. And, you know, it just ended up not working out. Um, he had that, I believe he had a foot injury or high ankle sprain to start his rookie season. He, he missed like half the season. And he couldn't really get going. Um, this past season had some injury issues. But the main thing I think with Nikhil Harry is I think, you know, this is something that a lot of people bring up with him. It's his movement. Um, He's someone that where if you watch him play, it looks like he he just takes too long for him to develop a route. Like, and that's kind of like an issue with like some players. Like if it takes a long time for you to run a slant route, it's, it's, it's not good. So I think a big part of it is, is kind of like his player movement. Um, He's kind of, been someone that's been kind of slow in terms of like his breaks his cuts and you know he was someone at college like I said that made a lot of people miss but 
sometimes that can be something where it doesn't translate to the NFL because the NFL guys are going to be way better than, you know, these Pac-12 defenders that he was going up against. So it's just, it's unfortunate to see. I was really high on Nikhil Harry. I was very happy. And it kind of stains a little bit more because if you think about some of the wide receivers that are in that draft, Debo Samuel, AJ Brown, who in his, you know, in the, in the combine interviews said that he was a Patriots fan. So it just kind of stains, you know, to look at how good that draft class was at the wide receiver position, DK Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, those were guys who were also in the draft and Patriots, you know, they didn't get, they didn't hit on him. And, you know, I think Bill Belichick, the reports are that he kind of ignored his scouts and he made the pick himself. Maybe, you know, now looking back on it now with Nikhil Harry requesting a trade, how does he feel about it? Um, does he think that he should have listened to his scouts or does he still feel confident in himself? Like, hey, like he didn't work out like it is what it is. Just go on to the next one and see if it works out. But it definitely stinks because when you draft a wide receiver in the first round, you expect him to contribute right away. And it's just been unfortunate you know, just to say the least that Nikhil Harry really hasn't panned out and, you know, what his trade value is at this point. I mean, I, I, I don't think the Patriots going to get a whole lot for him. Obviously he's still young. He's still in his rookie contract. I just think, you know, it, it's, it's just unfortunate just to see how his career has panned out. Um, he just, I feel like really, he didn't really fit with the Patriots. Like obviously the Patriots playbook is very complicated to learn. So it just stinks um, just to see something like that happen. Um, and I'm wishing him the best wherever he gets moved. Um, hopefully he goes to a good situation where maybe he can start to have some success. But yeah, I just think, you know, the, the situation, it just didn't work out for him here. I just don't think he fit very well. And I just think he kind of underwhelmed a little bit in terms of, you know, his player movement, him, you know, taking so many steps to run a slant route. Like that's not like a very good thing. And, separation is something that's a very important trait to have. And if you can't separate in the NFL, like that's going to be a really tough thing for you. So he just wasn't really able to separate very well. And it kind of stinks, but hoping for the best for him, wherever he gets traded. Um, if you want to see the statement, it's on Twitter. Um, his, his, I'm pretty sure his agent um, put out a whole statement of kind of what the, what the, um, the intent was to kind of, get up on out of here in new England. And I think his trainer also had like some sort of statement as well. So it's just, it's, it stinks for, for us that he's going to work out, but like I said, hoping for the best for Nikhil Harry. And I'm hoping that he could turn his career around. I mean, definitely there's still more time for him to do that, but it just didn't work out here. Yeah. He's still relatively, I mean, extremely young, actually, when you look at it. And uh, I think there definitely are situations where he could be a good fit even though he didn't work out with the Patriots and usually I feel like the Patriots are an ideal place for wide receivers to resurrect their career, or at least even begin their career. I feel like there's been so many wide receivers that have gone to the Patriots that have not had really that much success other places. And then it just works out for them, you know? And uh, I think with the lions, uh, the lions are a name that I will throw out there for Nikhil Harry. I <laughs> I'd be down for him to go to the Lions, man, because, like, we, we need anybody at this point. Like I said last week, man, our, our number one wide receiver is Rashad Perriman, so we need we need help. But yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens. I do think, though, that if he ends up in the right situation, that he can still turn it around being, being young. But we'll see, man. I, it'll definitely be interesting to see how that whole situation unfolds. And, uh, yeah, man, we'll definitely see what happens. But yeah. – I, I definitely want to go to NBA talk. Obviously, it's the NBA Finals. The Suns and the Bucks have made it to the NBA Finals. The Suns have completely turned around their franchise just to see what has happened in a span of three years. You know, three years ago, they had like 19, 20 wins, something like that. And then last season, they started out pretty bad, to say the least. They, they were good enough to at least qualify for the bubble. And then they they ended up going eight and zero in the bubble without Chris Paul, yeah. and now they are in the finals with Chris Paul. and And Chris Paul has just made such a a difference on that team. He's done wonders for that that team. He's really helped DeAndre Ayton to start to find himself. Um, you know, for that team in general, I think Ayton has played a, a a massive role. Devin Booker obviously has always been a prolific scorer, and he's also been a decent passer. But now having Chris Paul there. They've been able to complement each other 
very well, extremely well. This has definitely gone better than anybody has expected. And now before we get into the whole talk with that, there's something I wanted to say, and that's, man, I, I cannot stand Patrick Beverly. I'm sure I'm in the majority <laughs> with that. But, dude, this guy plays so dirty. I'm out here at every single possession. You know, he's so scrappy, and I give him credit for, for his scrappiness because that's what kept him in the, NF, uh, the NBA for so long. However, what he did with Chris Paul, pushing him in the back – when there was a timeout, they're down by like 20, 30 points, whatever it was. And they have nothing to lose at that point because there's two minutes left in the game. And he runs up to Chris Paul and he knocks him to the ground. Now imagine for a second, imagine if Chris Paul, who is already dealing with some lingering injuries with his legs, imagine if he got injured on that play, yeah. right? Yeah. So that got me thinking, you know, maybe this is an over-exaggeration. I'll keep it to the low here. But I, I definitely thought that Patrick Beverly, who did end up getting a one-game suspension, Deserved yep. a 10 to 20 game suspension. Sounds crazy. Wow. That sounds harsh. Wow. But to do that, it was not in a play. It was not a basketball play or anything like that. And he just goes in there and just pushes this guy to the ground and is already dealing with injuries. And I'm Holy like, man, crap. you know, maybe that's a little bit of my bias. 10 to 20 play. games, though? Wow. 20 games is a little strong, but 5 to 10 wow. games is definitely – I think 5 would have been reasonable for what he did, but – you know, it, it is what he is, what it is. He got the one game suspension. And the thing with Patrick Beverly is this is not like an isolated incident. This is not the first time he's done something like that. I can't think of other times in my head, but I'm sure if you just write in the internet right now, Patrick Beverly, dirty plays, you will be able to find a whole compilation of it. So yeah, that, that's my rant on Patrick Beverly going back to the, <laughs> going back to the Suns and the Bucks. <laughs> I, I got to say, man, I, I think the Bucks. Big factor in this series is Giannis. Is Giannis going to be healthy? The answer right now looks like it's going to be no. They're not sure if he's going to be able to return maybe later in the series if the, the series does get drawn out to five, six, seven games. And, and the load is going to be on Chris Milton's shoulders. That's what it's really going to come down to. And I, I don't know if he, can, if he can carry it. I think Chris Milton has definitely exceeded expectations with his contract. He's been able to live up to expectations up until this point for sure. The Bucks finally got over the hump. They've, they've been able to have uh, have their role players step up. In particular, Brooke Lopez and P.J. Tucker have both, both made tremendous, tremendous strides for this team. And without those two players, I don't think they would have won against the Nets for sure. I don't think they would be in this position right now at all. Uh, but with that being said, I just think the Suns have destiny written on them. I think everything that has happened this season and seeing the the emotion that they've been able to play with and being able to knock out LeBron James in the first round, even without Anthony Davis, just the fact that they, for the first time in his career, knocked him out in the first round. And I remember watching that that series and seeing the Lakers up 2-1 to one and everything seemed to be going well. And after the first quarter of game four, the Lakers were up by something like 15, 16, 17 points. And I was like, man, it's over. Like Lakers are taking control of this series. And the Suns just snapped back and they just dominated every other quarter for the rest of that series. Yeah. And I, it's such a testament to this team and what Monty Williams has been able to do. Their head coach has been able to do to really right the ship and just turn them around completely. So I'm going with the Suns here. I'm saying they're going to win it. If Giannis isn't healthy, I'm saying they win it in five. If Giannis is healthy, I'm saying they, they win it in six. Yeah, so if you guys are listening to us right now, I actually put out an article today on the Daily Goat, giving my entire breakdown of this finals matchup and kind of, you know, my prediction as well, which I'll say on the show as well. But uh, so make sure you guys check that out. But yeah, no, like it's just exciting to see two small market teams like the Phoenix Suns, the Milwaukee Bucks, like two teams – you know, the, if you talk about Phoenix, obviously they haven't had a lot of success as of, you know, late. They I mean, they haven't made a final since 1993 when it was the Charles Barkley led Phoenix Suns. They lost to Michael Jordan and, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks too. I mean, their first, this is their first finals appearance since 1974. So, you know, the, the Suns are looking for their first championship and the Bucks are looking for their second in franchise history. But yeah, I think this is going to be a really good matchup. I think the number one thing is going to be Giannis's health. Um, Giannis, you know, suffering that hyperextended left knee in game four of the Eastern Conference Finals when he was kind of going for that block on Clint Capella and he kind of landed a little bit awkwardly, awkwardly. And, you know, it just kind of forced him to, you know, be taken out of that game. And it's it's very up in the air. Um, last thing that I read that he was going to be a game time decision. 
I've seen that he's been doubtful for game one, which is going to be on tonight as we're recording this, but you guys will be listening to this after game one. So you guys will know what will happen, but um, yeah, so it's going to be, it's going to be a really good series. I think, I think there's going to be a lot of things that we're going to have to look at here. Giannis's health is going to be the number one thing. If the Bucks do not have Giannis, I just don't give them a chance. I know they're still a very good basketball team, even without Giannis, because you've seen Chris Middleton step up in big moments. You've seen Drew Holiday step it up. Brooke Lopez has stepped it up as well. So they have guys on their team that can step up, but Giannis is kind of that guy that really makes that engine going. Like he is the heart and soul of this team. He's the guy that's going to provide the biggest mismatch that, that you know, he's going to provide the biggest mismatch against the Suns team because there's not a lot of size on the Suns team. And I think it's going to be very hard for them to limit Giannis when he's, you know, getting the ball on in the transition and going downhill and driving to the basket like he does very well. But, you know, I think the biggest thing, though, for the Bucks is they're going to have to change their, t- their style of defense. Um, we kind of saw that a little bit in game one of the Eastern Conference Finals where they let Trey Young score 48 points. They play like this, this type of zone defense where they drop everyone back in the paint and they kind of leave the mid-range open and the three-point range, um, three range open and stuff. But if they do that and they let Chris Paul and Devin Booker shoot mid-range shots, like Chris Paul – a lot of his scoring is from that mid-range shot. Like he is probably one of, if not the best mid-range shooters in the NBA. Like he's going to, he's going to kill them. So they're going to have to kind of keen in on that. And even then I trust Chris Paul to make the right decision in terms of passing the ball. Like he can kick it out to Devin Booker. He can kick it out to Jay Crowder who can hit the three. Like there's going to be guys that I think are going to step up. So the Bucs are going to have to switch up their defense. I know they kind of, did um, a few games in against the Atlanta Hawks and you kind of saw that, you know, really help them out in terms of them winning the series. So they're going to, I think they should definitely keep that going. Um, hopefully for their sake, uh, coach Budenholzer does that, but I think, you know, it's going to, it's going to be a great series. I mean, I'm very excited. I think there's a lot of different storylines. You mentioned Deandre Ayton, his, his postseason has been so good. Um, he's shooting 70.6% from the field, which is the most in the playoff run in NBA history. So he is shooting lights out. Um, and, you know, that pick and roll with him and Chris Paul has been fantastic to watch. Um, and, you know, other guys, obviously Devin Booker has done his thing. And obviously Chris Paul, I mean, Chris Paul, I mean, you look at that, that last game that he played against the Clippers, that game six, I believe it was game six, like unbelievable. Like, that was probably the best game I've seen Chris Paul play. 41 points. That was a playoff career high. He shot 66.6% from the field, eight assists and zero turnovers. He was unbelievable. And, you know, this is something that he's that has been eluding him his entire career. It's what is keeping him out of this top five point guard dis- discussion. It's the ring. He's been in the NBA for 16 seasons now, and he has not won that ring yet. And he's been someone that's obviously been so good throughout his career. And I think he knows that this is the stage. Like, this is it. Like, I got to win my reign. I have to, you know, cement my legacy here as a top five point guard in the history of the game. I have to win this reign. So I think he's going to be very motivated. Um, and I think this Bucks team, although they're a very young team, they've just been playing some great basketball. I trust them a little bit more to hit shots. Um, the Bucks have been kind of a poor shooting team. They actually are the... They so since 2004, I, I forget which team in 2004 it was, but the Bucks they're shooting like 31% from three, and that's the lowest since 2004 for a team to make it to the NBA finals. So they haven't been good shooting the three. So the Suns are going to give them open looks, and and if Giannis plays, they're going to control the paint, they're going to make sure Giannis doesn't drive on them, and they're going to be forced to kick it out and shoot these, these outside shots. So I just think you know. Coming down to it, if Giannis plays, I think that the Phoenix Suns still win this series, and I could see them winning it in seven games. If Giannis doesn't play, the Phoenix Suns are winning this series, I think, pretty pretty uh, handedly. I think they win it in five games. I think the Bucks team could probably steal one. But, yeah, I just believe, you know, it's going to really come down to that. And I'm really hoping Giannis can play, and he's healthy for this game one because I want to see good basketball. I think – him being out there and healthy can make it a very, very good series. I think it has the potential to go seven if he's out there, but it's a big if. We don't know if 
you know, his injuries is worse as the media is making it seem out to be. Like, like, oh, it's a, you know, hyperextended left knee. That's or not the media. The team is kind of saying, oh, it's a hyperextended left knee. What if he tore something and we don't know that? You know, it's very possible that they're kind of hiding it um, to kind of make it seem like, oh, he might be out there and playing. But even if Giannis is a decoy, I don't even think that works because Giannis is someone that needs to have the ball in his hands. So I, it's just something where he needs to be out there. He's got to be healthy. Who knows how effective he's going to be. And I think even regardless, I think the Suns, like you were mentioning, this team of destiny, they have played, you know, some fantastic basketball. I know people could say, oh, it was a little bit lucky because they've had Anthony Davis who was injured. Kawhi was injured. You know, like you could say, you could say all that stuff. Like there were, you know, obviously players that were injured, but at the end of the day, like this Suns team, they still held up their own end of the bargain and they've been playing some great basketball. And I think I just trust them to come out here. They have a very, their, their fan base is, is very, very, very loyal that, you know, their home, home court advantage is real. It's always very loud when they play in Phoenix. And I just think, you know, this team is, is ready to win an NBA championship. It seems like they're that team of destiny and, there's obviously going to be some things, you know, that both teams are going to have to do in order to give them the best chance to win. But I think at the end of the day, it's going to be the Phoenix Suns. I think Chris Paul finally gets that ring that has been eluding him his entire career. And I think the Phoenix Suns, you know, obviously the guys like Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton are so young and they're, I think they could definitely get their first ring. But if Giannis plays and he's healthy, I'm not ruling out the Bucks. I think it could be very close, but I just think the Phoenix Suns right now seem like the better team. And I think I just trust them more to hit bigger shots, be a better shooting team. And I think overall, they're just a more healthier team at this point in time. So I'm going to go with the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, I'm definitely glad we agree on that. And I want to mention one last thing about health, you know, in the NBA playoffs, because obviously there has been a ton of injuries. But one thing that a lot of people are forgetting is that in, in 2015, Chris Paul was in a game seven and he strained his hamstring. He was yep. out that game and they, they ultimately lost in the 2016 playoffs. He fractured his hand very early on. They lost in 20, 2018 when he was on the Rockets with James Harden, it was, I believe the best three pointing three point shooting team of all time. I think that record has been broken already, but for that season, they did break the record for most three pointers in this season. They were up three, two against golden state. And what happened? He had a hamstring injury, you know? Mm-hmm. So and with all this talk about injuries, and, and I've even heard people say, like, oh, there should be an asterisk on the winner this season because, you know, there's been so many injuries. But I don't think that's fair to Chris Paul because he's been dealing with these situations. You know, who knows what would have happened when they were up 3-2 against the Warriors. I think they would have won, to be honest. I really think the, that the Rockets had that team that season. The way that Chris Paul and James Harden were playing together that one season – I really think that they would have won or maybe they mm. wouldn't have, but, but at least I have Chris Paul out there would have made such a difference. And ultimately I believe that now, uh, you know, it's destiny that Chris Paul will ultimately get his first ring finally. And uh, you know, injuries happen. It's a very unfortunate part of the NBA, but I think that, you know, like I said, Chris Paul has experienced enough injuries in his career. He definitely deserve these uh these these breaks you know I, I don't want to call it a break because obviously never root for injuries you know and I want to see Giannis healthy but I definitely think it, it evens out here yeah and you know for Chris Paul if he can win this first reign I mean I just think it's I think it's just great for him I think it definitely cements him as a top five point guard um you know I think he's earned it at this point if he gets that reign like he's just really changed the culture of this team I mean I think about last season, he was on the Oklahoma City Thunder, and they were a team that, you know, they got rid of Russell Westbrook. They got rid of Paul George. You would think, oh, they're going to miss the playoffs. Chris Paul was a big reason why they made the playoffs. And, you know, they went to a seven-game series. I forget who they played in the first round, but they were they were fantastic because Chris Paul just knows, you know, how to change the culture of these teams. And now you look at the Phoenix Suns, they're in the NBA Finals. So, it's incredible. I'm hoping for some really good basketball. And as you guys are going to be listening to this, game one has already ended. Um, but, you know, me and Noah, we're going to be excited to watch the game tonight as we're recording this to see who ends up winning. But it's it's going to be a really good series. You know, there's going to there's a lot of different storylines to look at. 
Um, and I think, you know, it's going to be a really good NBA finals. It's definitely different to see these two small market teams, two teams that have not been in the finals for so, 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 so long. The Suns looking for their first championship and the Bucks looking for their first since 1971 when they had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Oscar Robertson. So that's how you know it's been a long time. Um, so it's going to be really exciting. And I just can't wait for this NBA finals matchup. Yeah, for sure, man. So I think we're about an hour in, so we'll wrap it up here. But definitely a lot of great talk about football, about basketball. And next week, we'll be back to cover another division, the NFC. We'll figure out which one it's going to yeah, be. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely figure it out. But anyways, this has been a, it's been a pleasure to talk some more sports with you, Carr. And I will see you next week. Yeah, you too, Noah. And again, make sure you guys follow our Twitter, at RoughTheBasket. We just made a Twitter recently, so you guys want to make sure you guys check that out. Obviously, follow our Instagram at Basket. You can follow me on Twitter at bcar underscore 13, and you can follow Noah on Instagram at nburnt37. So you guys want to make sure you guys follow us, listen to the podcast. If you missed last week's podcast where we talked about the NFC North, make sure you guys listen in onto that. And then until next time, guys, you know, enjoy the these NBA finals. It's going to be very exciting. And we will see you guys next week. Mm-hmm.